0: Raise your hand. Wow, not many. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. So I come from the little hick town of Windsor, Colorado. There's a reason I was sitting there with no mask on, because in Weld County, we are anti-mask in every way. No, I, I legitimately just can't find one. Um, <laughs> but Windsor, Colorado, or Windsor Community Church has been a part of the Crossway Network of Churches um, for for years and years now, and that is Mountain Views Church. Uh, that is the network of churches that Mountain View is a part of. So technically, Mountain View is a sister church to uh, Windsor Community Church. So so we're all we're all family in a random weird way. We're all family, but yeah. So I'm from I'm from that direction. I've been doing student ministry there for a very 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 long time. Uh, it's been like 10 years now, and so. Micah and I have known each other a very long time, and when he asks me to do anything, I jump. Like, yes, do we have a retreat tomorrow? Absolutely. Do I care? No. I'm going to come and do this for Micah just because it's Micah. I just love that guy. Um, Anyway, so tonight we're going to be in Psalm 8, Psalm chapter 8. If you guys want to go ahead and open up. That was another aspect to this. I'm really sorry. There are no slides tonight. Hopefully... You guys will still be able to hone in and focus without like words on a screen, but I think you're good to go. So if you could open up to Psalm 8, that'd be great. Let's go ahead and, while you're turning there, let's go ahead and pray. Open up. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you and want to thank you so much for this time and opportunity we have to come together. God, thank you so much for this ministry um, here in Fort Collins. Thank you so much for every person that's in this room. God, I pray as we open your word, I pray as we dive in, God, that you would just open our hearts and our minds to see you more clearly. God, I pray that not one person would leave this room today without knowing you better. And God, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you yet, I pray that you would stir in their heart, God, that you would stir in their minds so they would leave here desiring so desperately to know you, to know your beautiful, perfect name. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so names are important. Names are really important. Every person on planet earth has a name. So some names are long, they're distinct, like Keaton Philip Baynard, right? It's a beautiful name. Where's Keaton? Oh, there he is. Beautiful, right? Round of applause for Keaton just for having that name. Yes, yes, right, I know. And then other names are shorter and more simplistic, like Paul Baynard. So round of applause for Paul for having a shorter, less distinct name. Yes, yes, thank you. But at the end of the day, each individual person is unique. Everyone is unique. Your name's important because it's one of the main identifiers of you as a unique person. Names throughout time haven't only been important to identify someone, they also represent something. Each name represents something. So back in the day, surnames, what does surname mean? Anybody? Last name, thank you. Last names were used to identify careers in some different cultures and different capacities. So for instance, the name Smith was actually derived from smid, which is an old English word that meant to strike with a hammer. Strike with a hammer. So that surname, that last name, it was actually referencing a career in being what? Blacksmith. Look, you guys are on point tonight. Good job. So you even look at my last name. My last name's Atherton, which means from a town by a spring. It's pretty great, right? My relatives were known because they lived in a little town by a spring. That is so creative. They really took time on that one there. My point with all of this is that names are important. Names are important. They're not just unique identifiers of you as a person, but they also mean a great deal. We just talked about my last name being Atherton. So some of you might not know this. Real quick, raise of hands, how many of you have seen me before previously? Claire, raise your hand. Okay. Cool. So some of you. That's good. That's good. So a lot of you are not going to know this. Um, Atherton is not my original last name. So up until four years ago, my name was actually Stephen Thomas McKinsey. Stephen Thomas McKinsey. Stephen uh, is for the first martyr in scripture. Thomas is for my biological dad's first name. And then McKinsey is my biological dad's last name. Um, when I was eight, my mom and my dad got divorced. My dad went completely off the deep end, absolutely insanely off the deep end. He became an alcoholic. He was abusive in every way, shape, and form you can think of. Um, He became the thing in my life I wanted no association with whatsoever. In the midst of this, however, my my mom married my stepdad, whose name is Stephen Paul Atherton. This man, he showed me what a true father actually should be. He showed me what a true man of the Lord is. He showed me what a man looked like following hard after Christ. He taught me how to go through this crazy life as a real man. That was my stepdad. That was a man, this is a man I want to be associated with. He is a man I want to be associated with. I want to be associated with it because it means something to me, right? It's important. So I changed my name from Stephen Thomas McKenzie to Stephen Paul McKenzie atherton so i technically made myself a junior but that's okay right i think that's kind of cool so the reason i share the story with you is because before we even start to dive into psalm eight tonight i want you to already have it seared in your mind that names are important especially the name that we're going to be discussing tonight so let's go ahead and just pray one more time real quick God, again, I just want to thank you. Um, Lord, I, I pray, um, even just at the beginning of this, Lord, as we're going to be opening up Psalm 8, God, uh, yeah, just pray that you would, you would speak through me here, God. God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified and that your beautiful name would be praised through all this. We love and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you guys, I am so excited to be opening up with you right now in Psalms because I absolutely love this book. Anyone else out here? Like psalms? Yeah. Nice. Okay, there we go. We, everyone else in the bill is like, just giving me hand signals like, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Okay. Yeah, I love this book. It makes me take a step back. It makes me truly remember who it is I worship and who it is that I praise. This book helps me think about who our wonderful God actually is. And it helps me reflect on if I'm seeing God for who he actually is. Which brings us right into verse 1. So Psalms 8 verse 1 says this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So I think in most cases, a lot of people would immediately brush past the first four words of this verse. They would just be like, ah, it's David, right? David wrote the Psalms. He's just starting it off. He's just starting, getting it going, talking to God. Or, yeah, we, we know that he's talking to God, so let's just move on. But the problem is, if you do something like that, if you just brush past words in Scripture at any point, you're going to miss something. You're always going to miss something. And in this, you're missing out on the intensity of what this passage is trying to say altogether. So, yeah, this, those things I said previously are true. I feel like I'm just going to keep knocking this Sorry, Paul. Good? Okay. okay. I move a lot. I just want to make sure. So those things that I said previously are true. David is, in fact, addressing God at the beginning of this. But as I said from the, the beginning, names are important. That's, that's the whole point of what I was trying to get at earlier, right? Names are important. So the question comes into play, how is David addressing God right here? How is David actually addressing God Which brings us to the first Lord. So in that passage, O Lord, our Lord, the very first Lord, the most important word, this word right here, that one little word, is not the most important word just in this psalm, but in scripture, completely. I would submit that to you, that one word. In the Hebrew, this word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is Jehovah. It is actually Jehovah, it's Yahweh, it is the personal name of God. So this Lord is the personal name of God. It's the name above all names. This is the name that has authority over all things, all time, all places. This is the name that creation bows down to. And this is the name that not only created, but saves and restores and creates. I I don't know how much more you could put into that, right? It's beautiful just from that one word. You see so much. Exodus 3.14. Um, I don't know if you guys want to flip there real quick. I'll give you like 3.2 seconds to flip there if you want to. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It goes Genesis, then Exodus. Cool. Just thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that, Keenan. Exodus 3.14 says this. God said to Moses, He's actually using his personal name. This is that personal name he was talking about in the Psalms, that Lord, that is this I am. This is really important. That is that I am. This is his name that he's talking about that's forever, that's throughout all time. But this name it goes deeper. We just have to go a little further into it. John 8:58 says this. Your father Abraham rejoiced That he would see my day. This is Jesus talking, by the way. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Now really pay attention to this, you guys. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. It's Jesus talking. Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus himself and went out of the temple. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Does that sound familiar at all from what we just read in Exodus? A lot of people, I know so many Christians, I know so many people that disconnect Jesus and God, that disconnect who he actually is. If anyone ever wants to argue the reality that Jesus is in fact God Almighty, you can start by trying to explain this right here in Scripture. This, this passage is Jesus explicitly saying he is the one true God by calling himself the I am. He was saying he is Yahweh, he is Jehovah, he is God. So, so, we, not only, so we see this not only in the Old Testament, but we see it in the New Testament as, as well, right? We see this name above all names. And from this name, we can see the rest of the story being unfolded from beginning to end. Now that we've established not only the importance of names, but specifically the name above all names being used as the first word in Psalms, I think it's time that we dig even deeper before we continue. Is that okay? Is that fine? Before we get past the first word? Okay, I'm just making sure. I want you all to open up to John 1, 1 through 5. Sorry, I know I'm making you skip around a lot. So I love this passage in John because it takes everything that we just talked about. We talk about who God is, we look at the Psalm, what that said, we saw what Exodus said, then we continued on in the other passage in John. His name, his, his majesty, his perfection. It takes all of this, this passage we're about to read, and spins it in a way that it's, it's mind-blowing if you haven't seen it before. This is also talking about Jesus right here. It says, in the beginning was the word. So Jesus is the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Let's talk about Jesus. All things were made through him. And without him not anything made was made. In him was life and the life of light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a whole lot of theology like just like piled up in a couple verses right here. Like I said this passage is talking directly about Jesus this Jesus who shared with those Pharisees that he is God, that he is the I am. So the function of Jesus, the I am, the word created all things. It was through him and for him. I know, again, I know that was a lot for, for literally the first part of it. You guys are probably like, oh my gosh, we're going to be here for like six hours. This guy won't shut up. No, trust me, we're going to keep going. But that was in, it's really important as we do this to understand that main point. We have to fully understand this name being talked about. Otherwise, it loses the point of it all. So now we can go ahead and keep going. Um, Let's go ahead and look at... Okay, O Lord, our Lord. Let's go back to that psalm, Psalm 8. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So the next word is Lord. Okay, we're going to dig into this one word now. Oh, you guys are so excited. All right, just kidding. But this word Lord is actually different. This is why you have to really dig in because each word can be different within the original translation. So this word Lord is different. The first one, as we saw, was Jehovah, the name above all. The Lord, this Lord is actually translated as sovereign Lord. Sovereign. So possessing supreme or ultimate power over everything. So basically, David right here is saying, Jehovah, God, name above all names, supreme, ultimate leader of all. That is the title he is giving God right here. That's a pretty good title, wouldn't you say? I feel like that's a pretty good title. He keeps going and talking about his name, saying, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So this is David firmly acknowledging as best as he can, when honestly, words can hardly do it justice, the beauty of this name the majesty of this name. Understanding this name that we're talking about, it changes it completely. It changes the understanding of it. It changes it from a title to an unending thankfulness for what has been done for us. It goes from being just one piece, one little piece of literature, one, one, a couple words, to this in the entirety of Scripture unfolding before our eyes. It opens the floodgates of praise. And that's what this psalm is intended to do. When David was writing it, that's what he was intending to do with it. Just understanding the power of this majestic name, he goes on with, you have set your glory above the heavens. So only the one true God could do this, right? Right? Only the one true God could do this. His magnificence is above all things. Nothing can outstretch him. Nothing can outreach his glory. So the dictionary definition of glory is magnificence or great beauty, which I think it puts it all together perfectly. Magnificence or great beauty. He has put his beauty and his magnificence above all. Above the heavens, above absolutely everything. In my mind, that's such an incredible thought. What an incredible thing to think about. So as we keep going through the psalm, I want you to notice the you's and the yours. A little bit English in here. The you's and the yours being used as each one points directly back to this name that we've been talking about: the you's and the yours. So Jehovah set his glory above the heavens, the only name worthy to be praised. And then from here, David keeps going in verse two saying this: Out of the mouths of baby a bit, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So I, I think this is this is really an interesting verse because um, it doesn't seem to connect, right? It doesn't really doesn't feel like it connects at any point when you're looking at the rest of the psalm. Verse 1 is this extensive look at the name of the Lord. And then verse 3 is the creation God has made and looking more at his majesty. So why this in-between? There's like this weird in-between section that talks about babies, foes, and avengers. I thought it was odd as I was going through it. And after looking into the ideas about this verse, I landed on a concept that I thought made the most sense. And that is the infants and the babies here being portrayed are the Jewish people. The babies and the infants are the Jewish people. So at the time that King David was writing this, no matter how powerful a king in a country he may have had and may have been, the Jewish people were still on the low end of the totem pole. Standing next to the overwhelming Gentiles, just the hordes of people outside of the Jewish nation, they were tiny. They were a very small nation. So it makes me wonder if David was actually referencing back to his own experience with Goliath in this. So you have this small child standing up against Goliath, right? You have David, this tiny kid that's out there in front of this gigantic nine foot eight dude. He stands up to the giant not for the sake of his own glory, right? He does it for the, for the glory of the Lord, for God's name to be magnified. That's why he stands up to that giant. So God uses the least of these to show his magnificence and his glory and his power. Does this make sense? You have the Jewish people that were on the low end of the atonement pole, and what did he do with them? He showed his magnificence and his glory and his power, right? He used David tiny kid, and he showed it was by God and through him only. Could that tiny little nation of people ever done it on, could they ever have done it on their own? No. Therefore, God was praised and honored and glorified because there's no way it could have happened. You look at David, could it have ever happened on his own? No. Therefore, God got the praise and the honor and the glory. we see right here in this verse the you have and the your in this verse showing in a dramatic way that it is by him and through him 1 Corinthians 127 says this but god chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise god chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong so god chose the small foolish things the weak little babies of the world for the sake of his glory. He's the one to be praised, right? That's the the context of everything that we're talking about tonight is, is him and his name and his glory and his name that should be praised. He is the one. He is the powerful one. So when the victory happens, the only explanation is to cry out to the one true name of God in worship and celebration. Yeah, I, I, this isn't in any of my notes or anything, but I was just thinking about this. How often do we do the opposite of that? When something good happens in our life, when there's a victory in our life that we point to ourselves, we point to the small, insignificant thing versus pointing to the one who gives us the breath in our lungs, versus pointing to the one who has loved us and done everything for us and giving everything up for us, we, we typically point to ourselves, And that's what, I love this this verse and this passage because it points us in every way, shape, and form back to God. In our shortcomings and in our failures, he's there. And he loves us and he desires to be in a relationship with us even though he has the name above all names. We deserve nothing, he deserves everything and he still wants to be in that relationship with us. It's it's mind-blowing when you think about it. David transitions from this idea that we were just talking about into the next couple verses where he says, verse number three, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So the the description being used here, it's, I'll use the phrase again. It's probably getting old, but it's mind blowing. I don't really, anyone else have a better phrase than that? I'm just going to use it. It's fine. I feel like it's, it's mind-blowing. David's looking at the stars. He's looking up at the magnificence of the sky. He, he's looking at the creation all around him, how massive it is, how beautiful it is. And he adds the work of your fingers, making sure it's known how much bigger God is than we are. Like that, everything you see, he made that with his fingers. That's how massive and beautiful he is. Everything that we see, everything around us was created by that one true name, by Yahweh God. So we see this massive, incomprehensible God. We look at the beauty all around us, all that's been made, and then the question is asked, what is man that you are mindful of him? Look around, everybody. I mean, we're in Fort Collins, Colorado. This is beautiful country around here. I'm from Arizona. That is not beautiful country. You go outside and go, yeah, guy, I know you made this, but come on. Like, really? <laughs> no. But here in Colorado, it's be- there's beauty everywhere. You see it when you walk out the door, no matter where you're at. I think our normal, everyday routine in the culture that we live in, it can be hard to take a step back and truly see the creator and the creation around us. I think it can be hard. But when you get in the mountains, how many of you have done a backcountry trip? Raise your hand if you've done backcountry. Wow, do more backcountry trips, guys. So good. Um, not to plug backcountry or anything, but it's great. Do it. <clears throat> when you do a backcountry trip, when you go bear hunting by yourself in the middle of nowhere, done it, don't recommend it. When you're in a place that creation is staring you back in the face, it forces a perspective shift. It forces a perspective shift. When you see how small you are in comparison to to those mountains, when you see that roaring river and you realize it could swallow you up in one gulp, when you're face-to-face with the edge of a cliff and you know that one step, one wrong selfie on the side of that mountain and you're done... When you look around and see how microscopic you are in the grand scheme, the question comes back. What is man that you, Yahweh, God, are mindful of him? Who are we? Truly, like, who are we in comparison to that? Compared to you, God, this beautiful name we're talking about. It feels like we're worthless. It feels like we're nothing. It feels like we're ants just wandering around compared to that glory. But then it goes into this. It goes into verse 5. It says this. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. This honestly doesn't make sense to me. It truly doesn't make sense. He, he made us just a little lower than the heavenly beings. I mean, when you think grand scheme of everything that we've been talking about and you think of like the angelic beings and you think of heaven and you go, wow, I mean, like even think about that. And it says that it made us just a little lower than that. Those creatures in God's heavenly courts that get to be in his presence 24-7. But then it says, and it crown, he crowns us with glory and honor doesn't make sense. Again, we see the you have here, the creator of all creation has crowned us with glory and honor. Then the question comes, why? Why? Anyone in, in this room perfect? Anybody? Oh, really? Oh, man. Really thought I was gonna, one of these days I'm gonna ask that question, someone's gonna raise their hand and we can just, we can call it a day, right? Look at creation. Look at how small we are. God, why do you even care about us? We are messed up, broken, sinful beings. Every single one of us is. But he still crowns us with glory and honor. It doesn't stop there, though. It says, in verse, starting in verse 6, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths paths of the seas, you have given him dominion. You have put all things under his feet. We are crowned by him. We are kingly representatives of him on this earth. Not only has he crowned us, not only does he love us, not only has he done everything for us, he, he's made us stewards of his creation. I feel like that's something that gets lost pretty often. Like honestly, before going through this, you don't think about that, that God has placed creation under our feet to take care of. The stuff around us, like God's like, "Hey, okay, here you go, have fun. But then it comes back to the, like God, we don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve to be able to take care of stuff. We don't deserve to, to be crowned in, in honor and glory because of what we have done. Don't you understand, God, that we destroyed the perfection that you set in place? We, people, we did that. Holy God, like, why would you ever do anything for us? We deserve nothing but death. That's all we deserve, end of the day. We failed. Yet, the I am, the creator, He loved us enough to set a rescue plan in place. He came to this earth to fulfill that rescue plan by living the perfect life, by dying the the sacrificial death and rising again, showing his power over death and the grave. So Jesus, creator, savior, Lord, he not only rescues us if we acknowledge our brokenness, we repent of those sins and we turn to him, but he justifies us as well. And then the craziest part of all of this is he adopts us. He adopts us as sons and daughters if we believe what he did. So so you look at that list of his majesty, his glory, what he's done. Then you realize we deserve nothing. And then you go back to the fact, not only has he crowned us with honor and glory, that if we believe in what he's done for us, he actually justifies us and adopts us into his family. That, I mean, there's really no words to describe what God has done for each and every one of you in this room. We get to share in that name. That's the name that we get to share in. We are his children, right? I think it's so interesting to think about that. To think about the context of what I was saying originally um, with my name. To go back to where I was at previously. With my old broken name, with Stephen Thomas McKenzie, I I was in a broken pit of despair. With everything going on with my dad, I didn't know how to make it out of the other end of it. But then by God's grace, with my stepdad stepping into the picture, I was able to take on a new name. I was able to take on a new name that was that I wanted to represent with every fiber of my being. I wanted to go out and share that new name with others and tell other people about what has happened in my life. Like you guys, I was broken and I was lost over here and I had this crazy guy for a dad. And then Like, lo and behold, like, look at this guy, and like, look what he did for me. That is what happened in my life, and that is exactly what we should be doing in our lives if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. All that we have talked about tonight is his name, his beautiful, perfect name, and he wants us to have his name. He wants us to be his children and to to go out and tell the world about who he is. He wants us to go out and tell people about what he's done for us and and that even though we are broken and messed up, there's a way out. There's a way out. There's a uh, well-known, I talk about this all the time in um, in student ministry at uh, Windsor. There's a well-known atheist, and I forget his name every single time that I talk about it where he was talking about Christians and, and this is an atheist, right? doesn't believe in God. And he was talking about Christians and how if a Christian is not willing to go to him and share the good news of Jesus with him, how much must that person hate him? I was like, wow, that's profound. You have a guy that doesn't believe in God and was saying, you have Christians over here that if they truly believe in this name, They truly believe in this this change of life, in, in this new life in Jesus. How much do they have to hate someone to not share that with them? You know the good news. You know what Jesus did for you, so why aren't you going out and telling other people about it? I think as Christians, if you're sitting in this room today and you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior... I think sometimes it can be easy to get caught up in life and, and not actually talk about that one thing that truly saves. I think it's easy to do. We have people around us all day, every day, that are dying, that are in desperate need of a Savior, that need this name above all names. And we're like, ah, I'm busy. Eh, it's awkward right i'm in college like there's too many ideologies going around this person believes this and this and this i just don't want to get in the fight if you care about people at all talk about this name do what i'm doing right now talking about that one that that name that changed my life completely talk to people about that talk if you're sitting in this room right now and you don't truly have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know who he is, I want you to ask the question, why? What has held you back from a relationship with Jesus? Do you, do you even know who he is? Do you even understand what he did for you, why he did it? And if the answer is no, do not leave this room without talking to someone else. Do not leave here without talking to someone if you do not have a true relationship with Jesus. That is the most important thing that we could ever talk about. We're talking about the creator, the one who made us, the one whose name is above all names. We're talking about this Jesus who lived and died and rose again for you that is the true creator, the true I am, the one that saves. The most important word in scripture is the most important thing we could ever talk about ever. Let's pray. God, again, thank you for this time. God, thank you for just your word and just being able to uh, see the Old Testament, the New Testament come to life. That, God, your word is active, it's living, it's breathing. God, that we uh, can see you from beginning to end. That we can walk out these doors and see you. That we can go anywhere in our lives and we can see that name above all names. God, your true holy name. God, I pray that we, that you would just open eyes, open hearts, open minds. Lord God, change lives today. God, I pray for those of us that are sitting in this room that do have a relationship with you, God, I pray that you would reignite a spark, that you would relight that fire under us to go and share that good news of you, our Father, that saved us, that rescued us, that pulled us out. And God, I pray if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, God, that you would show them how desperately you desire relationship with them, that you so desperately want them in your family to be your children so they too can know what a loving Father is and that they can also go out and tell others about this. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name.